so I guess uh, housekeeping item. We have a new uh, a new panelist, new member, new teammate. Um, Tim, say hello. Hello. Michael has not left the podcast. Uh, I just want to make that clear. However, uh, we are looking to increase our frequency and our range. Uh, and so we asked him if he'd like to sit in and see if he liked it and see if we liked him. And uh, he graciously agreed. So, that is uh, correct. Tim, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to do uh, a story that I think is timely. Uh, hopefully, if all things work out, we will have this released uh, by uh, what will be tomorrow, Super Tuesday. Uh, everybody's favorite candidate, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, I was noticing online today uh, that the coronavirus, which is coming to kill all of us, there's a plan don't worry, there's a plan uh, in New York City. If everybody starts dropping dead of coronavirus, uh, inmates at Rikers Island uh, will be press ganged into digging mass graves for you. Thank God. Yeah. It's important to have a plan. Especially from somebody like de Blasio. I mean, you could see how the subway was doing so well with him that it's, it's good to see somebody like that making a plan. Well- you know, Tim, it's funny you say that because actually uh, that plan I was led to understand also from online uh, was developed by none other than Michael Bloomberg. So he is just truly the gift that keeps on giving uh, for Rikers inmates, as we will uh, find out. Fucking visionary. Exactly. It's not ba- it's, it's not good enough that, you know, you get tortured daily in the place and that your family gets harassed. But also... We'd like you to dig the graves of other people and what will eventually possibly become your own grave. Yeah, I love Rikers because, I mean, you, there's Alcatraz over in San Francisco that's a museum now. But, like, putting prisoners on an island just seems like such a medieval, like, way to, to house your criminal population. It feels RPG-ish. But there's, like, the prison <laughs> island. That's the prison that's level. That's right. Well, you know, and nothing more medieval, actually, than digging mass graves for plague victims. You know? <laughs> well, look, you got to pay your debt to society, all right? You're the one that decided to stand around minding your own business with a thick jacket on <laughs> that some fucking Italian cop who says the N-word 50 times at the family Christmas party decided looked like a gun to him. <laughs> Suspicious bulge. Yeah. Those are furtive movements, sir. Those are furtive movements. I get the suspicious bulge thing a lot. This is A-Lab. My name is Tarek. And this episode, Andy and I talk with Tim, our newest member, about Michael Bloomberg and the horrors he visited on the children of New York in his tenure as mayor. Bloomberg, uh, I think, is generally regarded as a uh, technocratic man who gets things done. Uh, he started off as an investment banker uh, way back in the way back. Uh, he was at a company called Solomon Brothers, which was bought out by another company and sec- subsequently bought out by another one. Made uh, $10 million for his trouble. 
uh, and then turn that $10 million around to develop uh, an Atari for rich guys, as far <laughs> as I can tell. <laughs> it's really kind of like the 80s iPad for rich guys. It's like a kind of just like a lifestyle product. It, it, looks, it has a certain look to it, and it's like, oh, you got the Bloomberg terminal, huh? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like IRC, you know, revived, and you, you spend like twenty four thousand dollars a year for the privilege. That's where Club Penguin went after it went away. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the terminal is that, like, it is really the anchor of his empire, though. Like the big set of income. I mean, the media empire is one thing, but the media empire brings in, you know, I mean, media empires themselves are not always big cash generators, but the terminal is. The terminal set brings in an enormous amount of money. Yeah, Vox was saying it's still like 75% of the revenue, which is like, I mean, you think about how much revenue Bloomberg makes. Yeah, like $10 billion a year. And he's got like $60 billion himself, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess when you have $60 billion, uh, you know, the world is your oyster. And so um, he served as New York's mayor from 2002 to 2013. Uh, as noted, he's, he's currently a... Um, presidential candidate uh, trying to buy his way into the presidency but he started out uh with the proof of concept buying elections in new york right i mean also as a republican as it's important to announce right now <laughs> <laughs> fair point he i think spent something like 74 million dollars in uh 2001 and then uh, another 85 million dollars in 2005 uh, just swamping uh, his his uh, his opponents, which were publicly financed, right? Like New York's had public financing of elections since the seventies. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He he eschewed public funding, as I understand it, and and went it alone. Um, and after two terms, I guess that wasn't enough, right? <laughs> and there were he was term limited, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, but managed to get the rules overturned so he could run for a third. Yeah, he didn't think he'd locked up enough black people yet, right? As we'll find out. Um, and uh, spent then another $80 million uh, there, uh, more or less, uh, on that election. All of these things add up. Everything helps a little bit. And the fact that 8.4 million people in New York City are living three years longer, and you don't think that's something to write about, I don't know what and, else uh, to tell you. Incredibly um, interventionist nanny stater, right? Um, so his... Among his contributions uh, to New York City, uh, he ruined bars by banning smoking. Um, he sought to uh, cap the size of any sugary beverage at 16 ounces, uh, but was ultimately <laughs> beaten in court. I went to college in Poughkeepsie, and I would go down to New York all the time, and I would just see these Orwellian, like, breastfeed your children posters with Bloomberg's face <laughs> on it. It was... <laughs> and, I mean... Link to that was was the they were locking up the the milk like it was a, a scheduled substance basically and you'd have to <laughs> you'd have to ask for it and and you'd get like a speech it was like uh, when you go to those fake abortion clinics and they're like oh you don't actually want to do that and and this is for formula yeah this is for formula for like newborn bait like out of the maternal care unit that fucking like, blows my mind you know like I, I have yeah. a young son and like watching my wife pump for the last year is just nuts to me to think about like she can do it because she's a lawyer uh but like t the idea that like a working person who's on their feet all day is gonna escape for you know the various pumping sessions that you need to do it's it's i, I would imagine it's extremely difficult uh 
for women to find the time and the place and the, the way the way to store milk and stuff like that. So the idea right. of like lecturing every single poor person in the city who you know can't afford to to take care of all the breastfeeding, but when they get formula, it's fucking unreal. It was also just bizarre because I I don't remember if he ever like had a rationale. I mean, you know, the the studies say that like breastfeeding is good for children or whatever, but like. It just kind of happened one day. I don't know what like was going through Bloomberg's mind when he decided that women should breastfeed their children, but like on a whim, he basically was like, "Nope, everyone in the city has to do this now." And well, now that there's there's actually if you if you think about it, there is a through line here, and it and it ties back to kind of what we're talking about, which is all of these things are things that poor people do, and that Bloomberg feels like he can. You know, through technical tweaks to, you know, policy and municipal, you know, regulation and statute can fix, you know, the health and other crises allegedly facing poor right. people, right? So smoking, you know, drinking too much uh, Arizona iced tea or whatever, you know, uh, using formula instead of breastfeeding uh, your, your, your kid like a yoga mom. You know, th- this was all like, I think, part of his plan to increase health outcomes, uh, for, for, for underprivileged people, you know, uh, using the sort of the power of the state, right? Um, I think he thinks of himself as this benevolent figure, but in fact, all he's doing is sort of, you know, getting in your business in ways that are, especially with the case of the breastfeeding things, you know, almost completely, um, impractical, uh, um, in any event, uh, all good things come to an end, and in 2013, he leaves office. He sort of assumes a role thereafter as kind of a fixer uh, and, a, and a fixture uh, on the political scene. Uh, I enjoyed, actually, uh, the last debate he was in where he was talking about all the great things he'd done for the yeah, Democratic Party. He almost said he Party. bought Congress, which is... <laughs> 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 I bought those! I bought those Congress people. You should be thanking me. Um... Uh, but in fact, he did, right? I mean, yeah. he, 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 he bought uh, a series of, of Republicans. He sort of breathed new political life into our good friend Joe Lieberman, uh, famous, uh, you know, right-wing independent. Um, destroyer of the public know, option. Beautiful. Destroyer of the public option, exactly. I think Lieberman said, you know, no one in public life has done more for me uh, than Mike Bloomberg, right? Uh, so, so, so thanks for that. Um, he also was hitting the sort of fancy pants, uh, you know, lecture circuits in Aspen and Davos and whatever, and, you know, blaming, uh, poor people for the financial crash, right? The problem wasn't, um, uh, sort of these toxic, uh, asset backed securities and over securitization of, of everything in sight, but rather it was the fact that we were making loans to people that shouldn't have gotten loans, you know, that we were turning renters into homeowners. And of course, these these people were going to, to default, which, of course, is the government's fault, not, you know, the banks being greedy and wanting to make as much money on the backs of poor people as possible. No, that's right. Actually, that's a good point. I mean, he says a point. And, he, and he didn't... that was the GOP talking point, like for the 2008 election, like. After the like depths of the crisis, like really made it hard for them to to go up there and publicly back capitalism. Like that was their kind of mewling response. Was like, no, it's the government who did it. Like, and Bloomberg is like the 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 champion of those kinds of thoughts. 
Uh, he was also getting sued a lot. <laughs> 40, 40 lawsuits from 64 women at, at last count. You know, everybody's uh, got their haters, so, you know. We're gonna just... <laughs> yeah, if we're going to start taking that shit seriously. <laughs> uh, it's, just a, it's just an allegation, right? Um, none of these things apparently made it to Plenty trial. Plenty of people get sued 40 times by 64 people. <laughs> For the same thing. It can happen anyway. But apparently, I mean, this the, you know, there's, there are articles going back at least as far as uh, 2001. Uh, and now he's uh, making a bid for the for the top job, right? Uh, he's a presidential candidate. Um, he has spent something like half a billion dollars already, which just seems outrageous to me. But it's funny. I mean, if you do turn on a TV anywhere, there he is, uh, including uh, advertising during. Yeah, the he debates. must be underwriting uh, every single news program on every single station because anytime I've seen a TV on in the last like month and a half, that's it. It's Bloomberg Instant. When they first started popping up, I gen like you know I noticed it was a Bloomberg ad after about thirty seconds. I was like, what? Like CNN's anti-Trump, but not this anti-Trump. Like, where are they getting these clips from? I was like, oh, this is this is a Bloomberg ad. Like, and since it's been a nonstop stream of that, like news, and then you get the clips from Trump with the Bloomberg ads, and then it goes right back into news. Yeah, and it's funny. It's funny because you can look at the news, and then sometimes the news segments. I mean, they appear to be really being purchased because the new segment will just be like new Bloomberg ad reports. New Bloomberg ad states that, and then they'll just play it in its entirety. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's hired fuck Jerry. Oh right, I forgot about his viral. This ad is the right. worst thing that he's fucking done. <laughs> These people are fucking scamming him though, because they're just doing the dumbest dog yeah, shit that not, nobody gives a fuck about. It is funny to think of him just being like, "Photoshop me with the bat with the nails." <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i saw his face on a meatball uh that yep. was cool oh yeah no um, that that is a weird case study i mean we're the we're the law podcast but i want to know like who those influencers are because it's like it's such a different tack from like the wendy's like i'm a heckin small burger like you're valid <laughs> kind of advertising like it's like genuine shit posting but like it still sucks it still sucks a lot <laughs> Yeah, I think he got somebody on like R surreal memes yeah, or something I to, no to hook him up. Um, uh, he's uh, buying mayors uh, and local officials everywhere, uh, and has been through the Harvard City Leadership Initiative uh, for quite some time. Uh, and apparently, like uh, he's sort of thought that this is his destiny. Like people ragged on uh, Beto O'Rourke, right, for saying I was born to be in this man, but. I mean, I think as early as 97, he was sort of musing about what a great president he would right. make. Um, Which is what Trump did, he, I think. Uh, he did that in, like, interviews in the 80s and 90s. Being like, oh, maybe one day I'll be president. Which is just... I, res I respect Trump because I don't think that Trump felt like he had some gra grandiose No, destiny. I still kind of think he kind of hates being president, but... No, I just think he went. Yeah, I think he just wanted to fucking like stunt on his haters, right. right? Like, I mean, he was just like he was just looking to like get even with everybody. Yeah. He did it like out of pure spite and malice, which I can relate to. Um, you know, sort of the idea of like I, I, I would be a great president. I'm, I'm destined for this kind of thing. It's just that that's just a, the sign of a twisted, perverse yeah. mind. It is funny that they're kind of the two Wall Street guys that ever had that kind of idea in their heads. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think the dream of having these two titans face off in a general election is going to happen, especially not after this podcast drop. But, um. <laughs> also, also, this is pretty obvious. I mean, if you saw that clip from CPAC over the weekend, like Trump would fucking destroy him. Like, 
the he was making fun of him at the debate and saying, "Get me off the stage! This is how Michael was the worst the worst debate performance I've ever seen ever. Get me off the stage! Get me off the stage!" And then he and then he shrinks himself to where his head's barely peeking over the over the lectern, and he goes, "Get me off the <laughs> stage!" I mean, right? I don't. Well, then Bloomberg would just be like, "You're poor." Like, <laughs> Trump just he's got no answer to that. Yeah, so. that's true. That would yeah. be the end of it. I gotta say though, I was impressed with him with Trump kneeling down. Uh, to make himself that is short. a lot Both more be- physical movement than I expected he was able to do. Yeah, I cu- I couldn't I couldn't kind of believe that he had that flexibility. Number one, but also, also it was actually really funny. Right? It was oh yeah, genuinely, no, it was genuinely funny. funny. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that like like it's one of the things that I like is because contrasting that with you know Bloomberg's sense of his own destiny. I mean, I would hate to watch these guys go at it, and I and I don't know how the fuck I would show up to vote for anybody in the middle of that, but. It is fun to watch a guy like this just get fucking taken down and dismantled, despite how he views himself. Right, because they're both from, like, the same kind of socioeconomic, like, block. And, like, they both kind of do the snitty kind of comments, like, at, at people that they don't like. Right. But Trump is just so much better at it and, like, does it in in more kind of unexpected and genuinely funny ways compared to Bloomberg. Like, who just says that, like, Bernie has three houses and we're like, we've, no one no one cares. It's just they're just bad jokes. Yeah. Well, I I think the re- I mean because this gets back to my thing with Trump, but Trump is a genuine person. Right. I mean, he's a genuine shitbag. You know. I mean, he's not pretending to be, and he sort of revels in cruelty. He's like he's got a he's got just a gift for finding like everything that's phony and stupid about you and just bringing it to to light. Whereas Bloomberg is always trying to put one over on you. You know, Bloomberg's like always one of these smartest guys in the room who thinks he's, you know, fooling you. Uh, and Trump just he he, he thrives uh, with guys like that. I mean, he's just taking these pompous assholes down is like what he's like one of his true talents. Right. Uh, so anyway, like like I think uh, Bloomberg announced like right at the end of 2019, but as early as March 2019, he was saying that there was it was not possible for him to run on the yeah, national that fucking level. rules like he knows. <laughs> he's well yeah. aware that like his case his case for the presidency is completely fucked right i mean in march 2019 he literally said it's not going to happen on a national level for somebody like me unless i'm willing to go and change all my views and go on a uh, a white male apology tour. <laughs> well, just, and that's like and guess what he's trying to do right now <laughs> listen i'm sorry so that's march 2019 and then in november 2019 he's in a black church in brooklyn uh, apologizing for stopping for us. My mother worked 15 hours, five days a week. My mother worked 16 hours, six days a week. My mother worked 17 hours, seven days a week. The best way to scare a Tory is to read and get rich. The best way to scare And getting back to, like, kind of how full of shit he is, right? So he, he, his apology at the time was, like, you know, in, in, in 2020 hindsight, uh, I was I was really effective at, at bringing crime down. Um, but, you know, I see that, you know, we should have acted sooner uh, and acted faster to cut down the stop and frisk. Right. And I wish we had. And I'm sorry that we didn't. Um, and then, you know, at least in, I think, one debate, if not both, he said, uh, you know, he discovered that stop and frisk was an issue. Then he stopped it uh, and cut it back by, you know, 95%, which is complete bullshit. Did not fucking happen. Right. 
None of that happened. He didn't start it. You know, he didn't discover it was a problem. He certainly wasn't the one who stopped it. And even the ninety-five percent figure. Yeah, and and we'll, and we'll talk about this uh, when we get down to the case. But you know, he his administration fought the city law department. They fought that fucking case, the the stop and frisk case, and then they appealed it. Right. And even if it were true that he did that out of the goodness of his heart, reduce it by ninety-five percent. A, it was still more than when he went into office. And B, that's like saying. You know, somebody who was torturing you for the past six months, like, stop doing it out of the good. Like, I stopped 95% of my torture on you. You know? <laughs> it's just, it's it, it's it's such a bullshit statement, like, fundamentally, like, on a, on a deep level. Look, I'm sorry that I put everyone in this church's kid in Rikers. I apologize for that. But I stopped doing I that. I stopped doing Sort of, it. sort of. When I realized it was a problem. Or when it, a court told me I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I had no other option but to stop doing it. I stopped it. doing it. I stopped doing much of it. Yeah. You know, I only did some of it after that. Uh, but, I mean, again, I mean, it, the, 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 the sheer sort of, you know, phoniness of all of this. I mean, he was in, in, 20, in 20, January, as late as January 2019, you know, he was lauding the success of it. You know, we got kids that were walking around looking like they might have a, have, have a gun. You know, we, we reduced uh, the murder rate from 650 a year to 300 a year doing yeah. that. I mean, he was lauding it on um, the debates. He was saying those figures. I mean, he wasn't saying it as openly and not uh, as explicitly framing it in racial terms. But he was still saying, like, we reduced crime with, with stop and frisk, which is insane. I mean, in 2013, he was saying we we were stopping too many whites and too few minorities, <laughs> which is a, which is a, which is a fucking four chan argument at that point. Like, look, if you look at right. FBI statistics, I actually police yeah. should pretend white people don't exist. I mean, maybe the Paul guys will pick him up this time. Um, you know, and in 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 2015, even that that guy, uh, what's his name, Ben Ben Dixon, he fucking stomped Bloomberg. Unbelievable. Uh, pulled that audio from that speech in Aspen, of all places. Oh, right, yeah, right? the Xeroxing of the... 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one of them. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it up all the time. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in the earth, it's true in virtually every city. So, I guess let's talk now about stop and frisk. Um, I think that this is not, uh, uh, and I'm pretty sure like, you know, back in, you know, the first city states when somebody first uh, fashioned a stick into a truncheon, you know, throwing people up on the wall, uh, throw, throwing people up against the wall was uh, uh, a, a, a policing tactic, right? I mean, this has, this isn't something that Bloomberg invented or, or uh, anything, it, 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 at least in, in American jurisprudence, it goes back. The legality of it has been enshrined since at least 1968 with a case called Terry versus Ohio, right? I mean, the general idea is that the Fourth Amendment protects you from unreasonable searches and seizures, uh, but there are obviously uh, that implies that there are reasonable searches and seizures. What what Terry versus Ohio said was that uh, as long as you had a reasonable suspicion to stop somebody. That has specific and articulatable facts. Those are the magic phrases that lawyers have to put in their briefs. Uh, basically, you can stop someone on the street, pat them down to, to see if they have any weapons, because presumably you're scared that they're going to hurt you in some way. Uh, and if you find anything, you know, you can bring that up to an arrest and, and kind of enter them into the criminal justice. Specific articulable facts that uh, 
raise your reasonable suspicion that crime is afoot. You have to have some idea that the, the, the facts have to be leading to like, look, the guy has got his hand over his eyes and he's looking in a window, the front window of a store and jiggling the door handle. He sent his friend around the back. And I thought when I looked at that, maybe I should go over and ask these guys what the fuck they're doing. Right. Exactly. Um, the stop and the frisk are two separate things, right? I mean, you have to have sort of a suspicion that there's criminality afoot, as you said, right? So um, this in the stop and frisk uh, in the New York application of it would include being in a high crime area or making furtive movements or, or right. other things like that, well, right? But, well, that's what they said. That's what they said. Well, ju- ju- just to zoom yeah. out a little bit. So, so the Fourth Amendment, just the Fourth Amendment requires uh, – it protects against unreasonable search and seizure. So the general thing is, the general rule is, even though this is being shot through in precedent, but the general rule is that uh, you need a warrant to search and seize. Now, w- what Terry is trying to get at is, short of that, um, cops might need to do preliminary kind of interventions to find out. Uh, so, in general, this find out if there's a crime being committed. So, if... If you want to get a warrant, you generally need to articulate a standard of probable cause. I have probable cause to believe a crime is being committed, and so then the judge gives you a warrant, and you get to go search and seize. Now, what do you do when you're out on the street? There's no time to get a warrant. You see the guys looking in the fucking place, in, 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 the, front, in the store window, and uh, so they come up with this standard, this standard of reasonable suspicion. You, you have reason to suspect that uh, someone is getting ready to commit a crime and then a cop gets to go over and intervene and ask a question or find out what's going on and in the course of discussing with that person if then there is it's reasonable suspicion all the way down is the standard you go if you reasonably suspect that uh they may be armed then you get to conduct uh, a limited frisk of their person to protect the safety of the officers what they're saying or or, or their car i mean I, I, terry i think is best understood as something you know, less than an arrest uh, and, and more than a, a voluntary inquiry. Right. You know, hey, can I talk to you? Right. Look, there has to be there has to be some reason to sort of uh, engage. In right. And so and so the right. so the opinion frames it as like a, um, a a limited judicious intervention by a thoughtful police officer that, of course, they have to have this power. So that way you can prevent crime. You wouldn't want a cop to just look away from the three guys looking in the store window and running around the back, would you? But what it ends up being is when you hand it to them, they just turn it into a fucking free for all. OK, now right. now I have a power where all I got to do is say the right words. Um, you were talking earlier, Tim, about, you know, the, the right words that the lawyer has to put in the briefs. But but the real people who take the clues from the opinion are the cops. Right. And they, they find out the exact words they got to write in their police report. <laughs> and now it's un it's it's unimpeachable. And and I think sort of the so the modern iteration in New York of the of the sort of stop and frisk era um, didn't start with with Bloomberg. I mean, I think going back to the '80s, there was this idea of sort of broken windows policing, right? This idea that if you you know stop small crimes from occurring, you know, if you sort of you know take high crime neighborhoods and over police them and, and, and bust people for urinating in the, in the, in the alley, uh, you'll prevent murders. Yeah, you keep, way, you keep right? really and, bad things from uh, far distant from happening by correcting for the, for what you see as the small imperfections, because then people believe that they, this is the theory anyway, that you, they believe they exist in some kind of a crimeless environment and then they'll just adapt to that. They'll start living in that crimeless environment because you patched up which the is, windows itself is like a, a neoliberal fix like we were talking about earlier that like we don't need to address the 
root causes of all this criminality that was happening in New York City because it was becoming this this vastly unequal society that we just have to kind of nudge people in the right direction by kind of making the neighborhood look like what we think a neighborhood that doesn't have crime looks like. That's right. Um, but while he didn't invent uh, stop and frisk, certainly, um, he certainly brought it to its apex uh, in its usage, uh, particularly in minority neighborhoods. Apparently, it hit its peak in 2011, uh, right, at, right towards the end of his his final term. Um, you know, he, he, he crows a lot about sort of the decline uh, of uh crime stats, but they were already declining, both under Giuliani and nationally. Um, there were all kinds of sort of this, I, I think he was as this technocrat that he likes to think of himself. There are all these sort of uh, data-driven policing that they would do, comp stat, like all these sort of uh, statistical reports that they would run, uh, which put the cops under t- tremendous pressure to gin up uh, statistics, both for arrests and stops, uh, which drove these numbers uh, of the of the uh, of the stop and frisks uh, again to to absolutely absurd heights i think at one point uh eventually uh, more uh more more black men uh were stopped and frisked uh than actually live uh in new york right. city right yeah. Yeah, you have this tyranny uh, of these statistical programs where they're analyzing and they're, they're trying to reduce the numbers it's sort of like uh, a good analogy is where a company is attempting to get better numbers every single quarter. Well, the thing is, you can't grow a company every single quarter in dramatic ways. It's not going to fucking happen. So what you end up, so what you end up inducing, is fraudulent behavior. When you set unrealistic targets for a company, they they start uh, they start trying to juice the numbers. They start to, trying to do weird shit in order to make their targets, and 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 that dynamic persists anywhere you put that kind of numbers pressure on people, and it happens to cops too. And it starts coming, you know, shit starts rolling downhill because the commissioner or the chief or whatever wants, uh, you know, wants better numbers, more stops, more seatbelts, more, uh, you know, tickets and summonses put out. And so then the cops just start ginning shit up. Yeah, which, I mean, is, is totally not how normal people think of policing. When you If you ask somebody how many people should the cops arrest this month, they're going to say the number of people that, you know, are committing a crime. They're not going to give you a... A flat number because that's not how people <laughs> right, think 50. of arrests or crime. Yeah, Bloomberg says he stopped it, but in fact he was sued, uh, and he 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 never really stopped fighting that suit. Um, the suit that was uh, that was sort of what what finally put an end to this, the Bloomberg iteration of it was a was a case called uh, Floyd v. City of New York. Um, but the interesting thing is, uh, so Floyd was filed in two thousand eight, but that wasn't even the first time. Uh, the city had been sued over this shit, right? Like the Daniels case uh, came before that. That was filed in 99 before Bloomberg's time. It was settled in 03 during uh, Bloomberg's uh, administration. It it was sort of came out of the wake of the 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 shooting of Amadou Diallo, who who like was shot something like 41 times uh, while holding his wallet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. they disbanded this sort of paramilitary street crimes unit that the police had. Uh, they acknowledged as a part of that that they were engaged in rampant racial profiling. They agreed to sort of track how many of these things they were doing and to audit the the, the validity uh, of the Terry stops that they were pulling. Um, none of that. It must feel that so happened, good right? when you get I mean, these orders. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, right. definitely. And then... It's the culmination of months or years of work, and then... Uh, no, uh, we, did, we just didn't want so to... Sorry, we just didn't feel, feel like it. We had our fingers crossed. <laughs> so, th- so these cases... <laughs> <laughs> these these cases typically end in consent decrees, yep. right? Uh, settlements that uh, impose a, a series of obligations on the on the settling defendant, the city, uh, to do certain things, right? So uh, you're supposed to comply with these. They have a, a sort of a sunset. They, they they you know they're in place for a while. A monitor might be appointed, um, but it was clear from the beginning uh, that that um, the the sort of all this technocratic database policing was just pressuring police to completely not comply with the initial uh, the Daniels uh, uh, consent decree. Yeah, essentially what happened what happened with with Daniels is that in the enforcement and the the endless enforcement hearings over the settlement um, eventually Judge Shinless said look you, you sound like you're starting to make art like we're, we're spending so much time trying to talk about construing the language of the settlement and figure out what the settlement means and does it cover this behavior since it sounds like you have another lawsuit just file just file a new fucking lawsuit you can call it a related case and it'll come before me these facts will come up there they'll, they'll be relevant later we'll talk about it when we get to the bottom of the floyd case mayor bloomberg said when i realized it was bad toward the end i ended it and dropped 95 percent that is not accurate in the last two years or so, it began to drop dramatically. It dropped 67%, not 95%. But it wasn't because he realized, had an epiphany that it was wrong. It's because of the court rulings. That's what happened. Right. I ruled. And Joe Biden said I, I, that the Obama administration stopped it. I thought you stopped it. Yeah, was Joe got, Biden correct or not? Of course he's not. You got in just ahead of me. I was going to say that Vice President Biden was Lucky I'm not in your courtroom. That's right. <laughs> he said that the Obama administration appointed a federal monitor totally wrong. I appointed a federal monitor in August of 2013, who didn't take office for 10 months because Mayor Bloomberg insisted on trying to appeal my ruling and getting it over. So simply put, Joe Biden, in your view, took credit for something that judges actually did. Absolutely. Right. So so Floyd uh, is the name of the case that challenges uh, stop and frisk that ends up before Shear Shinlin. And. What it is is it's a it's a 1983 Monell liability, but that means mu- uh, a municipal liability where you can sue like a town, um, and it's a it's a claim where the standard is that you need to show an official policy or practice uh, that that the the town or the city is engaging in that violates your constitutional or civil rights, and uh, you can show that there's a there's either a policymaker official decision or a deliberate indifference to the violation of your rights that's caused by the policy. And so you show, you show that and then you, and then you get liability against them. Um, so they're, they're arguing violations of two constitutional rights. One is a a fourth amendment violation, um, which is, we're talking about, we talked about these, uh, stop and frisk or these stops are, are often called Terry stops. That's the name of the case that we were talking about earlier that uh, enshrine them in constitutional law. So if the Terry stop is not consistent with the standard, meaning that there's no reasonable suspicion or the officer's suspicion was not reasonable, then your Fourth Amendment right has been violated by the cop stopping you on the street and you feel that you can't leave. You're stuck talking to this police officer and he has no, he has no legal basis to stop you. That's a constitutional violation. Right. The other, the other claim is an equal protection claim, which is, uh, you know, I think the one people are probably more familiar with, which is that... Uh, 
it's pretty obvious that almost everybody who's getting stopped is black and Latino. I mean, the, the, the statistics on that one were, were pretty They're much fucking a nuts. for the planet. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. <laughs> Again, we, as we said, more, more, more black men were stopped and frisked than actually live in the city, which I, I'm not sure how statistically that works out. I mean, I guess everybody's stop stopped one person more than times. once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, that's how it works, right. which is, which is, which is astounding. Yeah. So I mean, the the opinion is just incredible. You're mentioning the statistics because so what Jishinla is doing is really anchoring her decision in statistical evidence that was produced by you know produced by the city and peeled through by the various expert witnesses that testified in this case. And and the big thing that she's trying to do is anchor the decision in the facts. And that's what you want to do as a judge. It's what um it's what you want to do as a you know, as a litigant also, because factual decisions are very difficult to appeal because the standard of review is like clear error, which if you're not a lawyer may not make sense to you, but it's extremely difficult. You have to show that they were absolutely wrong. And what Shirshenlin is doing this entire opinion, it's 175 pages long, is making sure. Oh, 195. 195. There's absolutely no fucking way to find, uh, like, to to it's very, it would be very difficult to appeal this decision because of the way she structured the facts. Like so, if you are if you are writing a brief, you think. if you're writing a, uh, a a memo, if you're writing an opinion as a judge, the thing you all an exam, the thing you always want to do is is win the case before you even get to the law. You structure the facts in such a way that there's no possible other way to interpret this, and the law just flows smoothly. Once you've stated the facts, if they are as you say they are, then the law is fucking easy here. And that's what she does. And it's extremely brutal. She goes through all these statistics. And these are the things, like Tarek was saying, more black men are stopped and frisked than live in New York City. You know, 52% of all stops, uh, the person was black. 31% was Hispanic. That does not match the demographics of New York City. It's not even close. No, the opinion lays it out. It's it's almost a two-to-one difference for, for black residents. And for whites, it was, it was about 10% of stops when they're about a fifth of the city. So, so, so it leaves no mistake in your mind as to what the fuck is going on. Right. By, by 2011, again, the peak, they were stopping 700,000 Yeah, they, people. Oh, they, they more than doubled. It was uh, 314,000 in 2004 to 686,000 in 2011. This is a city of 8 million people. You know, like that's a nearly a million stops. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the way she lays it out, uh, I mean, I mean, 195 pages is just insane in the first place but the way the way she lays it out it's 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 damning i think one of the i think one of the most brutal things that she goes into is the the expert analysis of there's this uf-250 form that you have to fill out when you do one of these terry stops now cops don't always do them but there's these forms you have to fill out and they they give you these little check boxes and they're like all your little symptoms why did you stop this person what were they doing that was suspicious and you're supposed to you're supposed to give the evidence and uh, of what you think uh, justified the stop. And what they found is just like a ton of them are just obviously phoning it in. You know, you have officers that just click the same four every single time, no matter what. Uh, they'll say they're in a high crime area in 95% of the forms that they file, even though the stops are taking place in all sorts of geographically diverse places. Uh, you'll see that they'll just, there are a ton of them that where the boxes they would check would be furtive movements and high crime area. And that's it. That's all it would say. It wouldn't give an evidence. It, it right. wouldn't even say like what crime they thought might have been being committed. It's what it effectively says is, oh, it was a black guy sitting on a bench. Yeah, and the opinion goes into what the officers thought furtive movement was, and it was all these 
kind of vague and contradictory yeah. kind of, you know, was walking in a certain way, changing direction, acting a little suspicious. Like those are, those are just some of the things that one of the officers said his was, in his pocket, taking his hand out of his pocket. Right. Yeah. And it, it having right. pockets. <laughs> and there, there's just these things that require a lot of discretion on the officer and like, are, they're just not, you can't tell somebody out on the street, like, here's how you look innocent or act innocent. It's like, there's no, articulable way to act innocent for in front of a New York city cop under this, this program. No, no. So they could just make it up. And that is exactly what she basically finds yeah. that they're doing. Well, can I also just say it's a little bit fucked up that they have a fucking bunch of check boxes in the first place. Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> they're, 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 this is such a, this is such an automated, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, factory, uh, of stop and frisk that they right. don't even have to like, write down what they observe. Like, you, I'll just check furtive right. movement in right. my I don't think area. Bloomberg had anything you to know? do with this directly, but it's such, like, middle manager, like... <laughs> yeah, and you just... <laughs> Jesse checkbox. And you just hand them, like, a racism menu, and you go, well, which, <laughs> which one of these ways would you like to justify torturing this black person? <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, 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 uh, they tried uh, 19 stops. Right. Out of the millions uh, that we're just yeah. discussing, right? It took 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 nine. I and mean, if, if you're not a lawyer, this is yeah, because it's, it's a class action, and so you have to have some representative right. facts. They're not going to be able to pull all you know, mil- four point four million people in to talk about this stuff. You got to find some representatives, and then they can try the facts, and then you know the parties agree on like, okay, these are probably representative stops, and then let's see whether it's constitutional or not. And and the whole, I mean, the city's justification for all of this just is completely exposed as as ridiculous as you said, right? And I mean, as as, as Shinlin noted, whether or not it was effective, uh, and I think data seems to have shown that, you know, after they stopped doing this, uh, or mostly stopped doing it, right? C- crime continued to right. drop. So there's no real correlation right. between this policy. Uh, and this vaunted, you know, uh, precipitous decline in urban right. Crime. And as you and but, as you were mentioning, such, it was happening uh, against the backdrop of a nationwide drop in crime, drop in crime where there exactly. were not such, uh, you know, aggressive stop and frisk uh, policies. Yeah, but she knew that the city was going to use that that drop to just show the correlation and and kind of escape liability because I think they're probably used to, you know, when you see a civil rights case like this, if the if the plaintiffs don't have the evidence. The, the the city can just offer you know that kind of correlation and, and get off scot free. But the other thing is like even if it did work, it's still right. illegal. Right. Yeah. And exactly. That's something. That's something she hits. She made, right. She says. Right. She says. She right says like, front. look, lots of things might work. I mean, you could you could just enroll everybody, just just put everybody in fucking jail, yeah, and then there won't exactly. be any uh, there won't be any crime at all. Just start shooting people. Fuck it. But we don't, you know, we don't right. allow certain types of law enforcement, or you know, we say we don't, uh, and so that's how she ends up finding illegal. Now again, Bloomberg will tell you that he discovered the problem and stopped it, but in fact, uh, Shira Shira wrote him a hundred ninety five page opinion, uh, and he appealed it. Right. Um, he appealed it to the Second Circuit. Uh, I think, in fact, the city <laughs> the city council uh, tried to pass a law uh, stopping stop yep. and frisk as well, uh, consonant with that opinion. Yep. And he uh, sued them <laughs> to stop them from making it illegal to do what he was doing. I mean, to say that he was a recalcitrant uh, uh, defender of this would be an understatement. The appeal goes to the Second Circuit because Shinland is in the Southern District, 
Um, and uh, Shinlin is not treated so well by the circuit. It's fucking crazy. Like they kick her off the case, and they <laughs> kick her off. The, they just take they they reassign the case, and uh, you know they have a lot of language about like, look, this is not uncommon. It happens in all kinds of circuits. It happens here. Now their reasoning. What they say they're doing it for is because Sheer Shinlin. Now we don't find that she had partiality or was you know uh, she failed to be impartial or anything. We're not finding that, but she failed to to give the appearance of impartiality. And the reason is that because she gave a few limited interviews over the you know twenty five years of handling this fucking subject for the courts uh, to the press to discuss various things because they would want to talk to her from time to time, um, and because of this stuff that I talked about earlier where she was talking to uh, plaintiffs trying to enforce the Dan- the previous case, the Daniels settlement. And she said, look, look, let's stop jacking around trying to interpret the terms and, and fit current what you feel are current violations into the terms of a 15-year-old settlement. Just It sounds like you have a new case. Just bring the case. And you can state that it's related, and it'll probably come to me. And uh, But it, it just... It's a, it's a stupid way to administer the law to try to fit whatever your problem is now into the old settlement. It sounds like you have new offenses, so just bring them up. It is a perfectly fucking reasonable thing for a judge to say. But what they say is any person who listened to this would see that they are just that she's offering them partial advice and anybody could believe that. And then they so they just kick her off the fucking case and obviously what they wanted to do was reassign it and slap her. And that's what that, that's what they did. Well, and, you know, God forbid a federal judge, uh, you know, runs off at the mouth. Yeah, come the uh, fuck on. This would be the first, yeah. as far as I know, this would be the first fucking time that people are worried about judges, uh, you know, seeming partial. The Thomases of the world give speeches to federal Federalist Society and such. I mean, I mean, it, it's, the, the fucked up thing is, you know, I've, I've been before Shinlin, um, she was a she was a good judge. She was fair. She's a great poll if you're a plaintiff. Obviously, I mean she she wasn't uh, she wasn't a handmaiden to power as we like to say around here, right? I mean she she tended to call like she sees it. Um, she presided over the 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 trial of uh, that cop who 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 uh, uh, brutalized uh, Anthony Baez, right? Francis Lavodi. Um, she was one of the earliest judges to grapple with kind of electronic evidence uh, in a case called Zubelik. Um She's a good judge. I mean, she really was a good judge, a good trial judge, you know, down in the, down in the guts of things uh, and getting her hands dirty. Uh, and they really didn't, they did her dirty. Uh, they did my girl dirty. I have to say that. Um, she ultimately resigned, right? I mean, I, I don't know if it was necessarily because of this. It may have been totally unrelated, but the perception of, I think, every news outlet that covered it, including the New York Times, was they drew the connection. Judge, who was, yeah. you know, handled the stop and frisk case and who was censured by the, you know, Second Circuit, resigns. So it's not hard to draw a narrative there. I hope that's not why. But uh, it very well could have been. Ultimately, the end of the uh, Floyd case was uh, the end of Bloomberg, right? Like Bloomberg left. Uh, De Blasio, think you know, say what you will about him, uh, came in in part on promises uh, to stop this, uh, and uh, went to Brownsville, a community center, uh, one of the communities that was uh, 
particularly focused on uh, by the stop and frisk policies, uh, and made a speech and apologized for it, and he withdrew the appeal. Uh, and that was the end of the uh, stop and frisk. Uh, well, not the end of the stop and frisk uh, policy, but uh, certainly the the fight uh, to 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 keep it. At the yeah, level. and if I can say, I mean, I think this kind of puts like a nastier point on the Shinlin uh, reassignment, which is that I think it was pretty clear De Blasio was going to win at the time that that decision came down. I think that's and right. so yeah. he'd already promised to withdraw that appeal if elected. It was it was part of his promises, and so this was just a fuck eater. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, de Blasio was partially, I think, Tarek, you said this, like, part of the reason he was elected was a backlash against Bloomberg and, like, all of this stuff that he was doing because it was so high visibility. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, this was just the, you know, appeals court fucking with her. Very cool. <laughs> This is, is is ground well trod, um, but uh, I mean I think what what uh, what has I've struggled with 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 Bloomberg in particular is uh, kind of the full picture of the misery that he visited upon um, uh, New Yorkers, particularly Black and Hispanic New Yorkers, um, and the fact is that a lot of these people that were thrown up against the wall. Uh, and uh, searched and had their rights violated and, and were you know racially profiled uh, in violation of the the Fourteenth Amendment um, were innocent right uh, they were let go I mean I think m- many of the stops uh, resulted Almost in no further police action yeah 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 I think it was six percent of them were the stops that resulted in an arrest I mean I I I think one of the facts that came out I think it was in the opinion is that some of the officers were just explicitly stating completely unconstitutional motivations which is look we don't know we don't have any particular suspicion of one person but what we want to do is get in their faces so that way these black guys know we're watching them yes. <laughs> it was essentially collective punishment <laughs> for a race insane. yeah yeah and the opinion goes like you can't punish people based on their race like as uh, just because some are supposedly have this propensity for crime. Like, that's totally against what the 14th Amendment Yeah, and these guys are like, no, people. no, Yorana, Yorana, we're not yeah. doing that. All I'm doing yeah. is when I see a black guy, I tell him, <laughs> and, you know, I, I search him for guns, yeah. and I say, look, you know, I know what you people are like. That's not that's not punishing them for, for, for their race, okay? Oh, that's right, that's right. Um, But 6%. Of a shit ton of people is still a shit ton of people, right? Um, And usually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the big things that people were getting busted for was um, it wasn't actually, it's not actually, I I don't believe, a crime to have a certain amount of marijuana on you. Uh, But it is a crime to show uh, marijuana. Uh, So if you pull it out of your pocket, it becomes a misdemeanor. Um, so they were busting a lot of people for contraband and other things that they were forcing them to display. Uh, but they were also just busting people for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and when you get arrested in New York uh, and you don't have the kind of wherewithal to fight it, 
uh, you wind up in a little place I like to call. Oh yeah, and just and just to touch on this yeah. kind of pipeline. Look, once you give once you give cops the line they need to write in their police reports, they're going to start using that to find offenses. They're not just looking for weapons. What they do is they do you a pat down, and then they say, "Well, what f- it, it felt like a container you? of marijuana. You had a, you had something that I thought might be a film canister, so I wanted to search in the film canister because that's a common container of marijuana. And what they mean is, I'll feel any fucking lump I want, and if there's a lump, I get to look anytime I want. And so then they get to enroll all sorts of people, basically young minority men in the criminal justice system because they had some fucking weed on them. And when you when you when you get detained in New York, um, you wind up in Rikers. Um, Rikers is uh, an island. Just shockingly, Rikers Island. Um sort of in the shadow of the, the sort of runway lanes of uh, LaGuardia, you know, uh, soaking in the jet exhaust. Um, it is a sweltering pit of despair uh, that has been the subject of endless lawsuits for the cruelty and savagery uh, that exists there. I mean, it cannot be overstated. Uh, in any way, uh, what a fucking shithole uh, Rikers is. And they were essentially moving kids from the stop and frisk, uh, you know, into the conveyor belt to the Rikers into the conveyor belt en masse uh, for the entirety of this motherfucker's uh, uh, tenure uh, as mayor. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Rikers has been the subject of numerous consent decrees, at least six use of force related class actions um, dating back to at least the 80s. Um, Just to give you a sense of how far back these things go, uh, I started my career uh, working uh, with the Legal Aid Aid Society's Prisoners' Rights Project on one of these class actions. Uh, That's how old this shit is. (laughs) This this shit is. Um, Uh, You know, four uh, of the class actions focused on specific facilities, others focused on punitive segregation or other things. I mean, and then just countless individual lawsuits. Like just if you think about the amount of money that has been paid out uh, to people who were crippled, uh, severely injured, disfigured and maimed in Rikers, uh, it's insane and those are just the people that sued and won i mean it's hard to get your criminal lawyer uh get in contact with them on records uh so you can imagine uh with the kind of cases that that come out of this place uh the fact that 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 you know how how many of them there are that we know of uh, there's a whole uh, uh, bottom layer of the iceberg that we right, don't and it's know and about. it's and it's easy for it to get lost in the overview summary of you know there's a ton of lawsuits there's a ton of individuals a ton of class actions but if you drill down into any of these and you read the allegations in them you're gonna find the most fucked up possible shit like just imagine your life's taken away from you you're stuck in prison you know that this is gonna mean a ton of shit for your future you're just trying to survive day to day in jail and your face gets fucking cracked you know, right. you're, you're, yeah. you have a you have a fracture around your eye and it's just like it feels like sand around there because the bone is crushed. Your nose is busted. You're you have a skull laceration. I'm just reading stuff. Your face right. torn earlobe. You know, these these are things that people succeeded. Spinal fracture and a collapsed lung. 
Yeah, if if the stop and frisk uh, saga kind of represents the the indifference that that the neoliberal state has to kind of people who enter the criminal system, I think Rikers is emblematic of just the wanton cruelty that mm. can be inflicted on these people. Yeah. You know, with virtually no consequence. I mean, the city pays it out, and they, you know they don't care after a couple of weeks. I mean, they have what all these consent decrees. Like it's it's proof positive that they don't care at all. Well, so it's it's interesting because like you you mentioned that the city pays it out, and it's interesting to think about the actual pipeline of cash there, right? So so the city can pay out millions to you know repeat litigants and class litigants or or, or whatever. They, they can end up paying out a ton in individual uh, settlements and verdicts. Uh, but that money, remember, is not going to get taken out of the prison's budget. It's not going to get taken out of the cop's salary. It's not going to hit the. It's not going to hit the correction officers' union or anything like that. When the city loses money, where do you think they're going to draw it from? They're going to draw it from the easiest places to withdraw money, right? You turn around to the teachers and you say, "Hey guys, no salary raise this year. The cops beat the fuck out of another guy." Uh, and, and so it, it goes to the it goes to the programs that serve the most fragile populations. That's where the loss gets assigned. So these people are literally transferring money from, you know, like basically taking money out of kids, taking food out of kids mouths and using it to justify, you know, puncturing somebody's lungs such that it requires a chest tube. Yeah. And if not there, it's out of property taxes, which is just going to push more people into more precarious situations and, you know, get them into the criminal system in the first place. Right. Look, 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 how are you going to afford Medicare for all when we're paying out $500,000 a pop for uh, facial fractures, right? You know, uh, left and right. I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of the, the, the sort of fiscal responsibility, you know, uh, position taken by the Bloombergs of the world uh, are completely belied by the fact that they're running a fucking charnel yeah, house exactly. here uh, for children. Um, you know, I mean, again, I mean, uh uh, uh, brain injuries, you know, I mean, like, 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 uh, like, like, like spinal injuries, people that are paying out 500,000, 200,000. And, and these are just to individual prisoners who brought cases, right? This isn't the class cases. I mean, this is just a, this is just an endless, you know, sort of stream of litigation being brought by uh, individual people that happen to get a lawyer uh, who is decent enough to file a claim, uh, and get them some money after fucking guards beat the shit out of them in a shower. I mean, it's just insane. It's insane. But uh, yeah, so I, I, like I said, I started on a on a case called Shepherd versus Phoenix, which which dealt with um, uh, uh, these sorts of issues in, in in punitive segregation in Rikers. So if you uh, get sent into Rikers after you know sort of busted on one of these bullshit beefs. Uh, you know, stop and frisk, um, you know, and then you get into trouble in Rikers. They send you into something called the uh, uh, the Bing or the Central Punitive Segregation Unit. Um, the practice was uh, and probably still is based on uh, reading the expert reports on the most recent litigation. Uh, when you arrive, they beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Um, usually you uh, resisted or refused to enter your cell and, and, and spat at an officer or, some or excuse did something and then uh, yeah and then you fall down the stairs on your face uh, you, you strike the officer he has a redness under his eye and then you fell down the stairs on your face and your, your face is shattered um, that was the historical kind of uh, result of most people entering yeah it, it's interesting right? because uh, just to draw a, 
you know, a contrast with what people think about, you know, people who never end up in jail or never visit anybody in jail. Uh, you know, the, what, you know, the joking, uh, familiarity that people might have with prison in terms uh, of like watching tv or movies is like you get to jail and the first day there you beat up uh, you beat up the biggest guy so that way everybody knows you're tough the reality is the prison is going to beat the fuck out of you right because That's they're going to put you in your fucking place yeah they, they have to break you to to be used to being in prison essentially yeah, the co's specifically they want you to know who's in charge and so it's just, yeah. it's just a regular part of your indoctrination to understand that we will inflict extreme violence on, yeah, with no provocation. So stay in line. Yeah, but I mean, even so, even back in the mid '90s when I was doing this, I mean, like uh, the, the the expert reports that were coming out of it were, you know, this is a third ring of hell. Uh, you know, staff's behavior is highly psychopathic. You know, uh, this is the most uniform and prodigious body of evidence uh, uh, of excessive and unnecessary force. Uh, you know, these are experts who've worked in Texas jails and in other places, uh, you know, coming into Rikers and just being appalled at what they're seeing. And this is uh, within the liberal enclave of New York. And the, these these are people, again, I, I think it's you need to stress, they haven't been convicted of anything. I mean, these are these are pretrial right. detainees uh, uh, who are being subjected. Yeah, the only to thing this. they can't do is make bail, essentially. And uh, adolescents, in particular, because uh, the system is so ill-equipped uh, to handle them, there's a high correlation uh, between sort of adolescence and uh, punitive segregation. Um, I think uh, nearly 27 percent uh, of adolescent inmates. Between 07 and 13, uh, in the height of the Bloomberg era, uh, were in Jesus solitary. Christ. I mean, yeah. Um, the uh, the I think uh, the jail officials themselves have said we just don't know what to do with them. Um, you know, and I think we're addicted to solitary. Uh, and they acknowledge that the fact this is especially damaging to the adolescent uh, brain. Uh, but these are the people that are getting stopped and frisked, and this is what's happening to them, right? Like the Bing in particular, it's not, it's not, um, it's not air conditioned. Um, there's no school. Uh, you know, you're you're often with food is withheld uh, and other things. I mean, it's 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 an incredibly uh, difficult uh, and isolating environment. I mean, you're out of your cell one hour a day, I think, uh, and uh, generally either being uh, mistreated. Uh, or 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 isolated uh, for the rest remainder of those times. And 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 while we're focusing, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna interject something here uh, that I learned. I I did some in a clinic in law school. I did some prison litigation related tasks, and we're talking about Rikers, but the rest of the New York prisons are fucking shit too. The jails, like we we did mm-hmm. we did. Uh, I was, we were working on I think an Eighth Amendment case for uh, Suffolk County jails. And the I was doing interviews to find a name plaintiff. One of the things you want to do in a class litigation is you want to find uh, a plaintiff who you know plaintiff or plaintiffs who can be representative and who have who have claims like like the 19 stops that they reviewed in the in the stop and frisk case, who whose claims can be examined as representative of the case you want to make before the court. And and the stories that they were telling us about Suffolk County Jail were just fucking insane. You know, a guy like had to you know the the guard would give him a crate to set down. Uh, that he could put down in the middle of the sewage that was flooding his cell, so he could use that to hop onto his bunk, you know. And and the, and and the next thing he was supposed to do, obviously, was go to sleep 
in a room full of shit. And they'd be like, yeah, we'll clean it up in the morning. It's fucking late. Anyway, it, it's not better anywhere else. No, not in New York or anywhere else in the country, no. really. But again, I mean, that's sort of we're sort we're supposed to be this again liberal enclave, uh, you know, sanctuary city, et cetera. But uh, th- these are some of the most monstrous conditions available uh, in the U.S. And as we know, the U.S. is uh, a leading provider uh, of prison services to its population uh, globally, right? So um, this is some of the some of the most appalling conditions I think a person can be held in. Um, uh, Khalif Browder, I mean, any of you guys? Yeah, know yeah this, I, this I remember story? this story when it came out. I mean, this is this is a guy who was arrested in twenty under Bloomberg, right? Um, uh, right <laughs> under Bloomberg, he was sixteen years old. Yeah, um, he was stopped, I think, for allegedly uh, somebody said he stole a backpack from from an immigrant or mm-hmm. something, uh, and he spent three years uh, in Rikers. Um, they ultimately dropped the case, right? Yeah, and they were slow rolling the case the entire time. And- yeah, y- y- in general, you're you're supposed to. Th- under the Constitution, have a right to a speedy trial. But that right has essentially just been <laughs> written out by the opinions sort of interpreting it. And yeah. what ends up happening, what ended up happening in this case, and the, the, the part that was drawn out the most about it, was that, you know, the prosecutor was like, well, I have to go do this thing, so, well, let me get a continuance, and then the continuance would be 30 days from now, and that went on for fucking years for something yeah, that they, every single time. they just didn't have a case on the guy. And then they were like, oh, yeah, shit, our bad. Hey, man, you can take off. <laughs> yeah. But meanwhile, he spent yeah. two of three years in punitive segregation, enjoying all the treatment we just detailed for him. Yep. I mean, I, I think in particular he was he was at least once uh, there were there were guards who would challenge um, adolescents in 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 the CPSU uh, to fights, uh, and was taken into a into a shower where there aren't cameras, um, and agreed to fight this guard and the guard like sucker punched him and like he lost consciousness and stuff. Um, he was ultimately, they just dropped the case. Yep. Yeah. They had nothing right. on yeah. him. So they were just like, like, like Andy said, just like, Oop, whoopsie. Yeah, nobody looked in the fucking file. They just kept asking for continuances and they're like, Oh shit. Oh, we don't have anything against you. Sorry about that, man. You know what the punchline is, is that the allegedly, the, according to the official story, they deported the guy uh, that he, he robbed. Right. right. Yeah. So, they did absolutely no case against him whatsoever. Jesus. <laughs> Um, in any event, uh, Mr. Browder uh, ultimately uh, had trouble readjusting to life outside and, and killed himself yeah. in 2015. But the good news is he, his family sued the city and they paid $3 million and agreed uh, to a bunch of reforms. And Rikers um, has been fixed since then. You know, it's actually it's done. <laughs> yeah. That, that's when it all got better. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, again, uh, adding Mr. Browder's case to the uh, – Hundred that we listed before, and the the, the six uh, specific use of force related class actions, um, incremental progress, uh, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> That's being fought every step um, of the way. But you know, Riker, Rikers isn't just a, a place where you can go and get the get get your get your oh, orbital Jesus. bone fractured uh, and and your lung punctured. Um, you can also be. Uh, uh, Subjected to forced gynecological uh, exams, there, right, uh, and and unlawful strip searches. I think a hundred thousand uh, misdemeanant uh, detainees in Rikers uh, under Bloomberg from two thousand two to two thousand seven were strip searched uh, against policy. Um, city paid what? Uh, 
30, 30 plus million dollars. Uh, thirty, yeah, uh, thirty three, thirty 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 three million dollars uh, on that one. Uh, if your girlfriend or your mama uh, come to visit you, what what, uh, what might happen then? They would get strip search as well. Yeah. Um. Apparently, uh, women were being uh, groped and fondled and having their uh, you know, genitals uh, touched, and their breasts touched, like, like with uh, unlawfully. Yeah, it's fucking insane. And yeah. like, like, ugh, man, it's just such a nuts thing to read about this yeah. shit. Because like, top to bottom, it's just a completely fucked system. I mean, I, that that obviously is the worst fact. But the facts all surrounding it, even to the people that didn't happen to, this system is just wild. I remember an article we yeah. were talking about. I was reading. And and e- even in a case where, where none of that happened, this person just wanted to go see their loved one. And in order to get there, just from the time they walked in the front door of the prison to the time they left was three hours, and they got one hour of time. And the rest of the time was, like, waiting rooms and uh, inspections uh, of their person and searches or whatever, waiting time, and then, and then out-processing. Uh, and that's like a three-hour commitment, not counting travel time to in there. Just to, see, and it's a and fucking it's a island. island. Yeah, yeah. just it's complicated to get so on. So, like, the first think place. about the cumulative effect. This, this is all outside, obviously, the the, the sexual humiliation uh, that we were just talking about, the sexual assault that we were just talking about. Um, but like, it it has the effect, just like those practices, of deterring people from coming to visit. You know. Right. I mean, that's the point of those practices, too, is just to make life hell for the inmates and deny them every conceivable comfort that they can have. Which was so so this this ties back to some of the uh, prison litigation uh, stuff that I was involved with. But I remember with the Suffolk County case, one of the things that was going on, they, they were building a new portion of the jail and funds were like bleeding out of the project because the, the the surrounding community was getting so fucking pissed off about every little thing and the plan to make tvs that they they hinged on this phrasing the flat screen tv they're gonna make flat screen tvs available uh to the inmates flat screen tvs they were fucking raging about this as if you can find any other fucking kind now uh they're really mad about like flat screen tvs being made available to prisoners and with no recognition at all that like look a TV is a babysitter for adults just as much as it is for kids. Like, if you give people a TV, it, you might have to do less interventions with them. Uh, you're not saving money by preventing, you know, by preventing them from having TVs. This is a similar, this is a similar thing. You, you spend all this fucking time uh, trying to deter visitors uh, when you might have like a better or smaller jail population if you can get people to still be connected to their community. Yeah, you'd definitely reduce recidivism rates and you would stop fights and other costly things within the system. But let me just take away all incentive for you to for uh you know, for any kind of behavior right. by isolating you from everybody you know and putting zero cons you know fuck, I'm just pissing myself off. <laughs> this is not a funny episode. Um so like uh thirteen million dollars uh for the for the for the strip searching of the, the, the mothers and, and, and girlfriends and, and sisters of the uh or brothers and fathers and, and, and boyfriends uh, of the people that, that Bloomberg threw in, right? Um Good news. So in 2011, uh, Legal Aid Society, uh, my my uh, first mentor, Jonathan Chasen, brought another suit uh, against uh, Rikers, uh, the Nunez case, 
Uh, and this had to do with the, specifically with the systematic brutalization of the adolescent population there. Um, and the expert, like this was filed in 11 and by 15, the DOJ had intervened, um, which, you know, is it in and of itself a fairly remarkable event uh, that the DOJ would get involved. And if you read the DOJ uh, report uh, on their intervention, it's 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 pretty wild. I mean, you don't expect the government to be taking uh, some of these positions, but but they do. Right. They they talk in, in, in great detail about the grievous injuries that are being visited upon children uh, in Rikers at that time. Yeah, I mean, so what? So what they appear to be doing, their 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 strategy for dealing with incarcerated adolescents is, uh, I mean, if I'm reading this correctly, is to beat the living shit out of them as many as possible, as yes. often as possible, uh, and that that is just like that's their punishment, that's the retribution for any kind of disrespect, and if you if you don't follow an order, you don't follow it fast enough. If you respond when I bait you with a taunt then I'm going to kick your fucking ass. And these are these are kids. These are adults beating the shit out of kids. Yeah, and they're they're out I mean they they're they have the ability to to send several right. adults. And these are and these are kids that are completely uh, under their control, completely restrained, uh, and they're still hitting them. They have chemical agents they could deploy, they have uh, restraints they can deploy, they have holes that they're trained to use, but uh, I mean I think they usually just punch them in the face, right? Like that's I mean, I think the, the, the prevalence of head injuries is particularly yeah. striking. As is um, them dragging the kids out to areas without video cameras. I mean, obviously, they're not going to be punching these kids in front of cameras or anything. But, like, it just shows the the level of premeditation and dedication that these uh, officers have to, to inflict violence on these kids. Yeah, take them to the punching room right. where we don't have cameras. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it it seems like, at least this is acknowledged in their report, that there's just no training that it's that that when you're dealing with adolescents when you're dealing say with incarcerated adolescents it's fundamentally different than when you're dealing with adults you're just dealing with a different type of person the brains aren't fully developed their emotions are going to be running high and their answer is just i don't know kick their ass again the entire grievance system the 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 ways in which all that was reported on top of that was just you know the, the report found it wholly inadequate they they didn't think any of the processes from top to bottom uh, uh, you know, were 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 set in such a way that that you know you could you could have a, a functioning grievance system, and so the the officers just resorted to violence because that was the quickest and easiest way for them to get the kids to to shut up or stop doing whatever. The most the most sort of telling line in the in the sort of letter that the DOJ offered when they intervened was the quote from the kind of the, one of the Fuck jail officials man. who said. You know, we have to we have to set up some kind of training, you know, to teach people how to effectively deal with these adolescents. Um, you know, if this were an adult, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. I mean, this is the level <laughs> of official thinking yeah. that has gone into also, you know, how to manage. Also, the, uh, there's one line that just blows me out here where he says, Staff cannot continuously respond to the kids like they do their own. Now, we are talking about a group of people who's beating the living shit out of children. <laughs> the- They're just assuming that the correctional officers just beat their children. Like, fair assumption, if, if you ask me. But 
Yeah, you know, it's one thing to fracture your, you know, your own son's zygomatic arch when they get lippy, but you know, we can't be doing this on a, yeah, on a systemic basis on. to yeah. prisoners or an adult prisoner, rabbit. Yeah, it's fine. But <laughs> uh, in any event, uh, that that case ultimately settled post Bloomberg in in, mm-hmm. in, in 2015. Um, a monitor was appointed. Uh, I should note, I actually know this guy. Uh, he was the expert in the, the Shepherd case. Uh, Steve Martin. Not the comedian. Uh, is his name. Um, not, not to be confused. Although, a funny man, a Texan, um, he refused to learn my name. Uh, he said, Tarek, that's too complicated. I'm going to call you <laughs> T-Man. Um, and so I was the T-Man for the entire time <laughs> I, I worked uh, at, at Legal Aid, but um, I do know him. Um, he is dutifully writing uh, reports uh, on the Nunez settlement uh, every every quarter or whatever it is. Uh, they're being posted on nyc.gov. Uh, you can go check them out yourself. Uh, and things are just getting worse, right? Uh, he's continually writing reports saying uh, nothing's getting better. Um you know, it's an uh, increases in officer violence uh, to continue unabated um, uh, under the monitor. Uh, the use of uh, unremitting use of force. Use of force is going up. High. This is under a settlement yeah. with a monitor, uh, and it's it's getting worse. Yeah, Steve's just writing reports saying uh, I, I'm appalled to see that uh, actually everything's just getting just that much worse. This. Uh, bad news for those of you say who are in law school and are hoping to do some kind of public interest work just a fucking reality check this is what impact litigation really looks like this is what it fucking actually is okay you do you you bust your ass you fight for your plaintiffs you pour your heart into it and you get you get your ruling the orchestra swells and the the jury finds for you or the the the, the judge imposes the and, just the sanctions and the and the uh, injunction that you want and you did it you fucking changed something man you did it and then you know what happens tomorrow they just fucking blow it off they wipe their ass with it they don't do shit they flush it down the fucking toilet and they flip the bird at you and then you go well wait i weren't you gonna i i thought we won and then you got to take them back to court you take them back to court and the judge maybe agrees with you the first time and the second time maybe the sixth time but eventually like they have other shit to do and the meanwhile the other side is bad faith representing to you you know and to the court they're going well look we changed some stuff you know we're giving them you know we're we're not we're not sexually assaulting the women who are coming to visit the prison anymore so you know that's good and uh and eventually you know the court is like they're they're just gonna move on or maybe like this that nothing happens right yeah this is the the monitor is doing everything they're supposed to be doing there's total transparency in this case, and but nothing's ha- like the thing that you want to do, which is change people's lives, is is the one thing that's not happening essentially. No, well, they're they're changing. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's writing, you know, a very detailed reports, yeah. with specific statistics, and 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 he's he's doing an excellent job. Uh, they're made fully available, as you said, for complete transparency. You can go log in and, I mean, you can go click on nyc.gov and look at them right now. I mean, they're, they're, they're right there for you. And 
all he's saying is that, that nothing yeah. is changing and, I, and nothing. I want to clarify my statement a little better. bit that like when I say that that's what impact litigation is, I don't mean to dissuade people from going into it. If anything, maybe the opposite. But just under, understand what you're fucking getting in for. When you get into public interest, you're you are gonna lose. And your idea, your whole it's a big fucking W if you can lose slowly. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people go into law school not really I mean, especially if they're not tied into the communities that they're hoping to serve they just have no idea what the reality on the ground is and i think that is a good wake-up call for anybody trying to do public interest work yeah you are gonna get fucked all the time you're gonna start drinking and uh yeah. your clients are gonna get mad at you because you didn't do anything fast enough after you told them you yeah were. and your bar for a victory is gonna is gonna drop and you're doing good you're doing the best that you can and and you're doing right. yeah you're doing more than anyone else is or can do right but just understand the actual scope of it. The movie is fucking lying to you. Those injunctions yeah. have monitors looking at them. You know whether whether it's an whether it's like a, a big environmental injunction you got against the company or whatever. This is how this is how it turns out. Yeah. At the same time, I do think it also shows kind of the limits of what legal change can do. And if you are kind of a lawyer looking to do something in the public interest, like if your work isn't tied into you know social movements and things like that. It's going to move at a snail's pace or slower because no one is going to be paying attention to this until people start making you know trouble. Yeah, legal change it. is the last thing to happen, not the first. Yeah, exactly. That, and, and that's actually a very good pivot to kind of the coda to this, right? Because, um, Tim, because, I mean, the, the Browder case in particular and uh, a lot of the sort of litigation that we're talking about has sort of led to this close Rikers movement, right? And, um, in fact... Again, to de Blasio's credit, uh, he's announced a plan uh, to close Rikers uh, in 10 years. <laughs> nice. Um, and, you know, definitionally kicking the can down the road. But, hey, there's a plan. Uh, that plan is mostly approved. They're moving forward to it. Uh, but good news. Um, there's other kinds of impact litigation. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> public, it's, it, I'm sure those people think they're working in the public interest. So, <laughs> And that's the fucking Kew Gardens Homeowners Associations bringing yeah. NIMBY lawsuits against the smaller community-based jails that were intended to replace records, right? Not one, but two. So, uh, South Bronx group. South Bronx and, is one of those uh, like terrifying uh, euphemisms for neighborhoods. You know what I mean? Like, if you're from South Bronx, it's like, oh. Yeah. Um, and South Bronx and Kew Gardens uh, have already, I think, filed uh, in February of this year uh, uh, lawsuits against the city uh, uh, over the plan, uh, decide, uh, stating that those, uh, relocating these uh, uh, teenagers who are having their faces broken uh, into their neighborhoods would yeah, lower God their property values. That the people who want to visit them don't have to get on a fucking ferry and go halfway <laughs> across the fucking state to go see the... Right. To be sexually yeah. molested. Yeah. Uh, to visit their son in the For ICU. For 20 minutes uh, with, uh, with uh, the, the man who beats yeah. him staring at right. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that was a that was a fun episode. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so so I do want to just say I do want to say so we are if it's not clear from this episode we are endorsing Mike Bloomberg. Uh, right. Yeah. If you want to see stop and frisk in every city, if you're in a Super Tuesday state, you know what you got to fucking do today. 
Well, I mean, you're right, because uh, if we don't have a uh, factory line uh, that takes children off the streets, warehousing them in uh, the most deplorable conditions uh, and stocking them up to dig our graves when we all die of coronavirus, yeah, then what the fuck? Right. Who's going to beat up all these kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Bloomberg 2020, I, Seriously, baby. though, real quick. I mean, one of the few good things the Obama administration did to an extent were those DOJ investigations on pattern and practice uh, that they did with police departments. I have to say. Yeah. So, I mean, a president like, let's say, Bernie Sanders, who could wield that power even more strongly. I mean, you can you can imagine, you know, as we say, it's not easy change. It's not fast change. But, I mean, it is something that the president can do without having to wait for That's some right. kid to get beat up to bring a lawsuit. Or, a, you know, 500 of them. So what you're saying is right. Uh, so I'm saying blue. Yeah, yeah exactly. You want to stop that at all yeah. costs. We gotta. St- we gotta. Villages we gotta stop of forty people costs. in the middle of Alabama need to have stop and frisk. I'm in, in all states I'm in, I might find a form in my melanin, great state I'm